grace tonight by the love of Jesus Christ. What an amazing love, an amazing grace, amazing mercy, unmerited favor. There's nothing we could do to deserve what we've received, but just say, be it unto me, Lord, and just accept it. You go with me tonight in prayer. Heavenly Father, once again, we come before your throne, Lord God. Recognize our need of you. Lord, I need you to come tonight and take control of this service. I need you to come take control of this body, these lips, Lord. For truly, there's nothing I can say, Lord, in my own, Lord, in my own knowledge, in my own ability that in any way could benefit these people. But, Lord, if you'll come and speak, Lord, and you'll open the bread of life, Lord God, and you'll allow people to recognize who they are, where we are, Lord Jesus. Lord, if your people, Lord God, could just be lifted up tonight to, to grab a hold of another, uh, another portion of faith, Lord, to be elevated in the promise. Lord, that's what we want tonight. We want you to speak to the people, Lord. And that's the only way that can happen is if you'll come take control. Lord, I submit myself to you, submit this service to you. We thank you for the worship, Lord, that's gone forth. I pray that it was pleasing in your eyes, Lord. And I just pray you'll come now, take control in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you'll turn with me to Deuteronomy, the eighth chapter, we'll look in the seventh verse. And then we'll also look over in 2 Samuel, the 23rd chapter, after we read here. I want to speak to you tonight for a little while on the subject of deliver the barley. Deliver the barley. Our, our theme tonight is, is that we, we want to recognize that that Satan's job is to rob you. Satan's job is to keep you from attaining all that belongs to you. And the thing is, he doesn't come in and say, oh, look at me, I'm the devil, and go after all the big things right off the bat. What Satan does is he comes in and he begins to nibble, and he comes in slyly in ways that we never expect. But if we can recognize him in those moments and we can deal with him in those moments when it's still a little thing, then we can have much greater victory in our life. Instead of allowing it to grow into a, to a major issue, something that's deep-rooted in our heart or deep-rooted in our home, and then it becomes a much bigger issue for us to deal with. So tonight we want to recognize the devil, recognize his tricks, recognize his lies, and always remember that the promises of God are yea and amen. Verse 7, it says, For the Lord thy God bringeth thee into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and depths that spring out of the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates. A land of olive oil and honey. A land wherein thou shalt eat bread without scarceness. Thou shalt not lack anything in it. A land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills thou mayest dig brass. When thou hast eaten and art full, then thou shalt bless the Lord thy God for the good land which he hath given thee. We'll turn over now to 2 Samuel, the 23rd chapter and the 8th verse. And in verse 8, it says, These be the names of the mighty men whom David had, the Tachmanite that sat in the seat, chief among the captains. The same was with Adino the Ezrite. He lift up his spear against 800 whom he slew at one time. And after him was Eliezer, the son of Dodo, the Ahoite, one of the three mighty men with David when they defied the Philistines that were there gathered together to battle. And the men of Israel were gone away. 
He arose and smote the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand clave unto the sword. And the Lord wrought a great victory that day, and the people returned after him only to spoil. May the Lord bless the reading of the word. You may have your seats. What a wonderful description we read there in the book of Deuteronomy of, of the land that the, that the Israelites had been taken to. It was a, a land full of the goodness of God, a land that, that was full of wheat, a land that was full of barley, a land that had vines and plenty of bread and running water and springs. And, and it was a land that lacked nothing. I believe tonight that we can say that we've been brought to a land, and it's, and it's a good land. And, and it says, you shall lack nothing in this land. And the Lord had brought them up out of Egypt, and he'd brought them up with a mighty hand. And in so doing, he had showed the miraculous. He had showed signs and wonders. He had showed that there was no other God that could stand before this God. He had showed that there was no situation that could stand in front of him. There was no army that could stand in front of him. When God makes up his mind that he's going to do something, the work is finished. It doesn't matter what the devil tries to do. It doesn't matter what he throws in your way. If you'll stay with the Lord, you're going to overcome. And, and, and there was no army that could stand there. And as long as Israel would stay with the Lord, they could say, who can stand before us? It wasn't just who can stand before our God, because as long as they were walking with him, then they could say, who can stand before us? Because he was walking with them. And I believe that tonight we can ask that same question, who can stand before our God? Can cancer stand before our God? Can depression stand before our God? What about anxiety? Can it stand before our God? We can say that even in this congregation, we've seen all those things defeated. We would be here all night if we all had the opportunity to testify about the times that God has overcome, has defeated the enemy, has lifted us up when we were down, has given us joy when we were depressed, who has healed our body when we were sick. There is nothing that can stand before our God. And as long as we are walking with the word, we're walking in the promise, we therefore can and say tonight, what can stand before us as Evening Light Tabernacle, as members of the bride of Jesus Christ, what can stand before us? If God be for us, who can be against us tonight? Amen. All these things have been defeated. Therefore, we know that, that, that we are on the path to receiving all that God has promised for us. Now, Israel had seen the miraculous hand of God deliver them and take them to the promised land, and it was a physical land. It was a physical place that they had been promised, and as the scripture said there, it had wheat and barley and figs and honey, and it was a good land. But we also have been returned to a land, and it's the land of the Holy Ghost. And here in this land is full of living waters. Here in this land is full of power. It's full of healing. It's full of salvation. This land tonight is full of deliverance. It's full of everything that you have need of tonight, but you got to stay in the land. There's deliverance for you. There's peace for you. It is a good land. But I also want to tell you tonight that in the land, there's war. In this land, there, there is conflict. When Israel came into the land the first time, you know, God didn't come down and just remove all the Hittites and the Jebusites and all the otherites and go, okay, I've cleaned them all out for you. Now and now you go in and possess all they had. But what they had to do is they had to go in and fight for every single inch of the land. They had to go in and they had to battle and they had to battle constantly. And then you come down into modern times after World War II and after the Holocaust and they were brought back to the land once again and they have had to fight 
every single day for their very existence. They have had to guard their borders against attack. They have to watch out as the Arab world has sworn to destroy them, and they have to constantly be on the lookout for missile attacks and car bombs and suicide bombers. It's a constant battle for them to stay in the land. The, the, The world politicians have turned against them, and there's no one standing left standing there with them anymore except some Christians and some people in America. I would say that if we got right down to it, even America has turned away from them and not support them the way that we once did. But they, in their situation, in their country, they cannot allow the enemy to have even one little bitty bit of ground. They can't allow even a small attack. It doesn't have to be a large attack. It doesn't have to be a full-on-scale war. They cannot allow him any entry into their land. If they recognize any little attack, they immediately go They go on the offensive, and they end that attack as quick as they possibly can because if, if it's in their land, even one foot, they are determined we are going to keep the enemy out of our promised land. So they are a people of the land, and now they must fight to stay in the land to keep the enemy off their land, and to keep the enemy from taking what is theirs. And I say that tonight we are in a good land, but we stand in the exact same place that the Israelites stand. We must have our guard up at all times. We cannot give even a little bit of ground. We cannot lay down our weapons even for a minute because the enemy is always looking for a way in. The enemy is always looking for a way to attack, and we must stay on guard and not give up even an inch, even a little parcel of ground, no matter how insignificant that parcel of ground may seem. This is a land filled with promises, but you're going to have to fight for it every single day. Brother Branham would say, and now after you're in, that don't mean that you're out free from war. You still have to fight for every inch of ground that you stand on. Brother Footprints is possession. Ministering brother, don't be afraid to put footprints where God has told you to go. It's possession. He told Joshua, everywhere the soles of your feet set, that's yours. We don't back up. We don't take what God said, and that's we take what God said, and that's the truth. No matter what the opposition says, how great it seems, how difficult it seems, if God said so, it's yours tonight. When he gave it to Joshua, he never said, I'll take all the Hivites and Philistines and give it to you. Joshua had to fight every inch of ground, but God was with him. And every inch of ground you'll cover, brother, to make footprints, you'll fight your way through. But take the sword of the Spirit, brother, and move right on. I love how he doesn't just tell you to go fight, but he equips you for the battle. He doesn't just tell you to go kick them out, but he gives you the tools necessary in order for you to go do it. He says, take the sword of the Spirit and go go forward. Brother Branham says here, oh my, I like that. The believer's promise. You say, what's that got to do with us? To every believer, the believer's promise is eternal life. The believer's promise is life, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, patience, fruits of the Spirit, divine healing, dozens of things I got wrote down here. Nearly, that's all your possession. It belongs to you, but you can't have it until you fight for it. I'm telling you, the word we've been given is a good word. It's full of everything you have need of to overcome in Laodicea. It's got everything you have need of to take a rapture in this last day, but you're going to have to be willing to fight for it. But if you fight, you will overcome. That is your promise tonight brother Branham says that's what's the matter with the church tonight we got a wishbone instead of a backbone what we need is something in there that'll stand you up amen every man that ever amounted to a hill of beans had to fight for what he got 
God don't give it to you on a silver platter. Let's see if I can get out of this. God doesn't give it to you on a silver platter. But I believe tonight that this land, that this word that we've been given is worth fighting for. I believe what we've been given is worth standing up for. It's worth giving our life for. It's worth standing when no one else will stand. When all everyone else runs away, when people are letting down standards. I believe this word is worth fighting for. I believe there's things in there that you can't get anywhere else. We'll fight for so many other things and we'll stand up for so many other things. But what about the word that's being trampled in this day? Somebody's going to be a beacon. Somebody's going to be a lighthouse and say, this is the truth. We're standing on it. We're not going to go this way or that way with new doctrines and new ideas. We're going to say exactly what the prophet said because that's what we need to take a rapture. This word is worth fighting for. And sometimes it may not just be fighting against worldly ideas. It may be fighting against ideas that rise up in the message. But I'm willing to stand tonight and fight for the truth and fight for the Holy Spirit still being in our services. Fight for the Holy Spirit for our young people. Fight for the Holy Spirit in our homes it's worth fighting for tonight because it's life without it it's nothing but death but with the holy spirit there's life and it's worth fighting for tonight it's a good land and we must have the same resolve that we see in israel they're determined that there will never be another holocaust never again will they stand by and watch the enemy come in and take their land take their lives and we must stand right there where they stand and say never again will we stand by and watch our promises be taken never again will we stand by and watch our children be drug out into the world never again will we stand by while our homes are broken up and destroyed never again will we sit by and let people tell us that that was for a bygone day and a bygone era but this is for this day this is for this era the Holy Spirit is for right now the healing of the body is for right now the Pentecostal promise the Pentecostal blessing is for right now it's not not for a day gone by it's for this day because we've been turned back to that day once again it's worth fighting for tonight church but it's going to take men and women with backbone who are willing to fight men who will say this will not happen on my watch men who will say truth will be preached righteousness will be upheld holiness will be exalted healing will be proclaimed we will not sit by idly and let the devil in not on our watch. Amen. It's going to be a fight as long as we're here on this earth in these bodies. Satan's desire is to rob you of everything that Christ has given you. And he's going to fight you until the day that you leave here. He's constantly looking for a way to get into your life. He studied mankind. He has studied you. It's been said before, he knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows our every weakness. That's why when we recognize a weakness in our life, we must keep it covered. We must keep those things under the blood. He's always studying ways to get inside the borders of your promise. To attack you in an unfortified position or to catch you out from behind the word like he did Eve. Or to catch you in a situation, a neglectful time like he did the disciples when they left out on the boat and they left Jesus behind. And he, he saw his opportunity to take the life of the disciples because they went out and did something without Jesus. They went out on their own without Jesus in, in their boat. And the reason he's doing all this is he's looking for his opportunity to destroy you. Right. Sometimes I think we, we don't, 
recognize how evil the devil is because we think maybe he's just trying to take this from me and he's trying to take that from me. But what you have to understand is those are all just little pieces that he's trying to take. His end goal is to destroy you, to utterly tear you down, to bring you down to the depths of despair. He hates you. He is not your friend. There's no reason to bargain with the enemy. There's no reason to make treaties with the enemy. He has no desire to be your friend. His one goal is to destroy you and to make sure you don't go in a rapture. But I got bad news for the old devil tonight. I've already read the back of the book and we win. I got bad news for the devil tonight. There's already been a word proclaimed over you. There's already been a prophecy poured out over you. There's already been an anointing oil poured out over you. Goliath cannot kill you. You've already been anointed. You've already been seen in the vision going in a rapture. He cannot destroy you. All we have to do is stand on the promise, stand on the word, and trust in it, and not back up, not give inch, but take the sword of the Spirit and go forward tonight. It's all laying in the land for you if you'll go and possess it. This is why we must put on the whole armor of God, because he's always looking for any little crack in our armor, and we must give him no place. I'm going to say that a lot tonight. We must give him no place, no opportunity, no opportunities to run around or work in our lives. And too many times we ourselves are to blame for the situations that we're dealing with. Why do you say that? Because we let him stay on our land when we didn't have to. What we have to recognize tonight is, is that it's our job. It's our responsibility to take the word of the Lord. You can't just sit back and, and say, well, the Lord's going to take care of that for me. No, the Lord has placed it in your hands. He's given you a job to do. He's given you the responsibility to take the word of the Lord and drive the enemy off every one of your promises, drive the enemy off your land. But too many times we sit back and we allow him free reign in our promises that he has absolutely no rights to. We give him a place to stand, and he doesn't belong in our land because there was a time where he had those rights because of the, the fall of Adam's race. But what we know is that at Calvary, all that Adam lost, Jesus Christ restored to you. Every redemptive blessing that was ever given is now given back to you because of what Jesus Christ did at Calvary. Satan has no rights to your land. He has no rights to your health. He has no rights to your family. He has no rights to your joy. He has no rights to anything that God has given you. Too many times we let him bluff bluff us but it's time we stand up in his face and say get off my land get off my property take your depression take your anxiety take your lying spirits and get out of here and do it with the word of the Lord sometimes we need to stand up and remind him that he doesn't even have the keys to his own house they were stripped from him by Jesus Christ much less does he have the right to come into my home tear up my home and do things in my house he doesn't even have the authority to go in his own house Jesus took the keys from him so many times the things that we're going through is because we've allowed him when he has no rights whatsoever every right he ever had was stripped from him by our Lord Jesus and given to you therefore he has no right in your land it doesn't matter where he is what part of the land even if he's just on the outskirts see that's the thing is sometimes we look at it and we go well that ah. This really isn't bothering me much. Yeah, he's just, he's over there. He's over there. But if he's on your land, he's trespassing. 
I don't care what part of your land he's on. He doesn't have a right to be there. And the problem is the longer you allow him to stay there, the next day he'll move a little closer. And the next day he'll move a little closer until you wake up one day and he's way too close for comfort. Now you've got real problems on your hand when you could have dealt with him when he first stepped on your property way over there. Why let him get close to our home? Why let him come in and bring danger to your family? Why bring him into your living room and bring danger to your children? Why let those things get close when you have the right and the opportunity and the authority? The minute you see him begin to creep in, say, take your line self and get off my property. You have the right to call the authority, the Holy Spirit on him, and he will arrest him and take him out because he cannot stay if you will tell him to go. Don't dismiss the issue and act like nothing's happening. Don't wait till he's in your house. Don't wait until he's too close for you to do anything about it. It would do wonders tonight for your children if they could see daddy rise up and do battle with the devil. It would do wonders tonight for your marriage if your spouse could see you go to war for that vow that you made. It would do wonders for your home if they could see you raise up and be a leader in the home like you're supposed to be and have a backbone and stand up against some of those things that's been trying to come into your home. Stand up against the makeup. Stand up against the tight clothes. It would do wonders for them to see their daddy for once get down on his knees and restore the family altar and begin to invite the Holy Spirit back in. It would do wonders for the experience in your home to see you stand up against the Goliath and slay him instead of letting that thing rule over you. It's kind of hard to tell your children how they need to live, how they need to overcome. God sent a prophet, and you're walking around beat down, defeated every day with the Goliath standing there boasting and telling you what you are going to do and ain't going to do. Rise up one time. Tell the Goliath he has no rights over you. Tell Goliath he was born for one reason. That was for you to kill. Goliath was born for one reason, and that was to die. Goliath was born to die, and that Goliath tormenting you was born for one reason, for you to take his head off. That would do wonders for your family to see the parents raise up and take the position they're supposed to be in. Brother Branham says, brother, I'm telling, it sent the rock to the killing place and down went Goliath. You know what happened? Then the Israelites took courage and away they went. They cut Philistines plumb to the walls. It just takes one person that's got enough courage to step out and say, it's right. God said so. Now listen to this. Brother, you down a Goliath and your whole family will go to cutting Philistines the first thing you know. You kill a Goliath tonight and watch what happens in your family. You kill a Goliath tomorrow and watch what happens with your family. It's going to be a bloody mess because they're going to go to cutting Philistines here and cutting Philistines there, cleaning out closets here, cleaning out cosmetics there, cleaning out bad music, bad movies, bad video games. There'll be a cleaning out that happens if you'll take care of the Goliaths that are in your life. It starts with the head of the home. Too many things are in the home because we won't deal with it when it's little. What we have to do is, start, is quit deciding that some things are a big deal and that some things aren't a big deal. Let's simplify it. If it's in the word, good or bad, it's a big deal. Okay, if it's in the word, you know, the Lord didn't go, you know what, I need something else on this page. That's, that's only half a page. I got I to gotta fill it up with something. One of you angels, come here. Will you fill this page up? That's not how it worked. If it's in the word, whether it's for your good or it's something about the devil, that's not, it's, it's a big deal. 
So we got to quit looking at things and going, well, I don't, I mean, it's okay. My kid, that's not that big a deal. Don't say it's not a big deal if the Lord put it in his word. It's a big deal. If he cares about the way we should dress, then that's, that's a big deal. That's something we should pay attention to. If he says, you know, that, that women should have long hair, that's a big deal. And women should have, and men should have short hair, that's a big deal. He wouldn't have put it in the word. If he says that you must be born again, listen to me, that's a big deal. It's not just I believe the message, I believe the message. No, sir, you got to have an experience with the living God. He said you must be born again. It's a big deal. You must have an experience with God. If it's in the word, it's a big deal. You know, there, there's an old saying that says, well, you need to choose your battles. Not with the devil. No. No, we don't pick and choose our battle. You know what? I don't want to fight this battle because that's going to stir up the home and she's going to get really mad at me. So this is just a little thing. So I'm going to let that go. No, no, that's not how it works. When it comes to Satan and him setting a foot on my property, him setting a foot on my promise, him setting a foot anywhere inside my land, anywhere near my family, anywhere near my children, I'm not going to pick and choose my battles. If he steps on my promise, we're going to war. If he steps on my promise, we're fixing to have a fight right then, right there, and I can already tell you who's going to win. I can already tell you who's going to overcome. I am because I'm walking with the Lord Jesus Christ, and if our God is for us, who can stand against us i know that when i go to war with the with the enemy i'm gonna come out victorious because i have a promise i've been given a book full of promises and every single one of them are the truth he can't rob me out of any of them unless i let him you say but it's just a little thing and really it's it's not bothering me it stays out there on the edge of my promise Song of Solomon tells us it's the little foxes that spoil the vine. See, that's the problem with, uh, with little foxes is they kind of seem harmless. Matter of fact, they're, they're pretty stinking cute. I mean, they, they, they look like something that you'd like. Yeah, come here. You better hope you don't come here. <laughs> they look cute. They look like something that would never hurt you. You say, well, I don't see where this is bothering me. See, that's the problem. That's the thing with little foxes. Usually don't see them because they're sneaky. Usually don't see them because they're full of stealth. Usually don't see them because they can walk without making a sound. You don't see them. You don't see them coming. You don't hear them coming. All you know is is you wake up one day and you say, what happened to my blessing? What happened to my harvest? What happened to my children? What happened to my relationship with the Lord? Why am I lukewarm? Did you deal with the little foxes? Did you deal with the little things that crept up in your life? Did you deal with that temper? Did you deal with that bitterness, that thing that you thought was no big deal and it really wasn't, wasn't hindering you? Did you deal with that unforgiveness that you never would let go of? And you wake up one day and you go, well, what happened to the rapture? I thought there was supposed to be a body change. Well, there was. But little foxes came and, they, and they, they ruined your vine and they stole your harvest and they stole your blessings because you didn't deal with them when you had the opportunity to. Little things matter. Listen, you don't think little things matter? Get a kidney stone. <laughs> Get a kidney stone one time. Little things matter. All right? Look, that, that <laughs> and that's in the physical. All right? Uh, how much damage can a so-called little thing do in the spiritual to an individual, to a family, to evening light tabernacle, to the, to the church body worldwide? 
those things tend to spread like cancers when we don't deal with them. They tend to spread from this family to that family to this church to that church, and it turns into a little cancer that's eating away at people's victory, eating away at people's joy, killing people's influence. Now they don't want to hear nothing that comes from this preacher or that preacher, and it's all because of this. It's a little thing that didn't get dealt with. There's not a one of us here that would sign up for a kidney stone. There's not a one of us here that if we had the choice, we'd go, ooh. <laughs> not a one of us. So why are we allowing these little complexes and things to come in and we see it and we recognize what it is and we have the opportunity to defeat it, but we sit there and we let that little complex come on us? Look, that little complex isn't going to stay a little complex for long. That fear that comes up and it's just a little bit of anxiety instead of standing there and casting that thing away, we let it come on us. That little anxiety is not going to stay a little anxiety for long. But it's not like a kidney stone where sometimes we don't have a choice. In this situation, we have a choice. We have a say in the matter. When that thing rises up in our life, we have a choice to sit there and say, I am a son of the living God. I am a daughter of the living God. I am the purchase of the price. I was bought with the blood. I will not accept this anxiety. I will not accept this complex. I will not accept this fear. My name is not anxiety. My name is not depression. My name is not complex. My name is overcomer. My name is Miss Jesus Christ. My name is I'm going to take a rapture. My name is Christian. I have a right to every promise in the book. I'm not going to allow some evil name or evil spirit to attach itself to me and identify me with it. I'm not going to be identified with that. We heard Sunday that we were given a new name. My name is victorious. I'm not going to be defeated by something. I'm going to tell it where it can go, why it can go there, because I have a promise. I'm a son of the living God, and I'm going to cast it away from me. I'm not going to accept those little things. Because remember, it's just wanting to destroy you. That's what it's all about. You are Miss Jesus Christ. You don't have to accept those things. You have the power and authority given to you by the bridegroom. The devil loves to come and put complexes on people. One of the ones he really loves to throw at people is inferiority complexes. Make them feel like they're not good enough. Make them feel like they're not worthy. Make them feel like they're insignificant. Well, join the club. None of us are, are worthy. None, none of us are significant. Without Jesus Christ and what he did for us, there's none of us e even worth talking about. There's none of us can do anything there's none of us that can just pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and say well i'm going to overcome i'm going to go on a rapture we're all in the same boat none of us are, are just more worthy than another one but he loves to come and make people feel un unworthy and and and, and it at the truth of the matter is it's all the grace of god none of us will be where we are without the grace of god and and, and what he wants to do is he wants to give you this complex to keep you from giving what you have to the lord because you don't feel like it's good enough. You don't feel like it's even anything to give him. You don't feel like, well, why would he even want this? What can he do with this? And he wants you to think that your gift isn't valuable. So you keep it to yourself. Or he wants you to think that your life is unworthy. So you never surrender it to him for his use. And young people, sometimes they deal with it more than anybody. They can be plagued with all sorts of, of feelings of crippling insecurities. And, you know, I'm not cool. I don't fit in. I don't have very many friends. I don't have any gifts. I'm all alone. And what he is doing is he's robbing you of the vision that Jesus Christ has of you. 
He's making you value things based off the way the world values things and taking your eyes off of the way Jesus values things. He don't value things the way the world values things. He don't look at little gifts and small gifts and, and this promise is kind of a big promise and that's a, a, a small promise and this kid's cool and this kid's... No, you're all beautifully and wonderfully made. Every single one of you are. And, and if you have any gift from God, it's a great gift. There's no portion of God that's not great and one portion of God that's so much greater than another. You've all been beautifully and wonderfully made, and you've all been sent here with a purpose. And the devil wants to come and try to rob you of that purpose by making you value yourself based off of worldly values. Value yourself based off of the way social media values things or the way Hollywood values things. Those things aren't reality. Uh, in reality, I need you. In reality, I can't make it without you. In reality, you're just as important as anybody sitting up here. In, in reality, without y'all sitting out there, this would be a pretty terrible service. Okay? You're as important to this service as anybody else is. You're important to the bride as anybody else is. You have a part to play just like anybody else does. And I can't go till you get ready. So I'm pulling for you. I want you to know I'm on your side. I want you to know tonight the devil can't hold you. I want you to know tonight that God loved you so much that he came down and he took on flesh and he died for you. How's that the next time the devil says you're not very important? Really, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords thought you were important enough to to come down and shed his blood for you. That's pretty important. But the world tries to change our sense of value of what is really worth something, of what is really worth fighting for. I say tonight, if it's in the word, we should value it. I say tonight, if they're part of the family of God, we should value them. I say if it's in the word, it's worth fighting for. It's our land. It's where we've been returned to, and we cannot let anybody or anything come in and rob any portion of it from us and tell us it's not for us. It is for us. It is for you. It's for all of us. Many of the great leaders that we actually find in the Bible actually dealt with complexes. We find that Moses, he couldn't, he, he couldn't speak, and he stuttered, and and he made all kind of excuses of, of why he couldn't go down. And it was because of complexes. Gideon had complexes. You see in uh, Judges 6.15. And he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor. See that poor, rich thing that's gone on since the beginning of time. My family is poor in Manasseh and I am the least in my father's house. Not only is my family poor, he's saying, but I'm the worst of all of them. I'm the lowest in a poor family. Listen, God's not interested in who you are, what family you came from, what your mama and daddy did. He's not interested in your worldly standing or your wealth or even your rank in your own family. God's not even interested in what you can do. God's interested tonight in what God can do through you. If you will just surrender yourself and as I've heard it said before, just be available. Be available. Say, Lord, I'm here. I don't, sometimes you may not even know what it is you have to offer. You may not even know what it is you have to give. But if you'll just step back and say, Lord, I'm available. Use me how you see fit. Lord, let me say something to someone to encourage them today. Let me do something to encourage somebody along their way. Let me do whatever it is you want me to do, Lord. He will use you. All he needs is a vessel. All he needs is a willing vessel. 
Judges 6, 16 says, And the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with thee. See, there's the answer right there. It, never, it wasn't about Gideon. It never was about Gideon. It was about I will be with thee. It was going to be the Lord's victory anyway. It was going to be his victory all along. That's why when Gideon had this giant army, he said, No, send them away. Send them away till he got all the, way, all the way down to 300. That way they in no way could claim the victory, but they would have to give credit to where it came from. This is the Lord's victory. This is the Lord's doing. And when any of us get to the point that we think we're doing anything on our own, we're about to fall flat on our face. Anytime we get to the point that we think we're something, we're in trouble. It's actually good sometimes when we sit back and we say, Lord, I don't know what I can do. Because those are the people that he'll use. He uses common people. He uses people that don't think too highly of themselves. Because then he can come in and he can use them the way he sees fit. Look at the prophet of this day. Look at the man chosen in this day to, to, to fulfill Malachi 4 or 5. It wasn't some high and lifted up theologian. It, it, it was a man, Brother Branham would say, I'm, I come from bootleggers. My, my family's no good, no religion. He says, I don't even know how he saved me. And yet that was the man he chose to use. So when the complexes begin to come in, we got to push those things out and recognize who we truly are. We are sons and daughters of the living God. We are the bride of Jesus Christ. That's something we can be proud about. I may not can be proud of anything else in my life, but I can throw my shoulders back and lift my head up and say, Jesus Christ died for me. Jesus Christ loves me. Jesus Christ has given me the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ went to prepare a place for me. And that's something that we can be proud about. It's about somebody being available. Listen, it's not just little things that the devil wants to come in and put in your life to, to destroy you. What he also wants to do is slip in and rob you and make you look at the blessings of God as little things. He wants you to look at them as small things or look at your gifts or things he's bestowed upon you as little things. And he tries to make you value your gifts and the things of God as being too little. It's funny how he works. He'll get you to look at the things the enemy's bringing in and go, well, that's no big deal, and use it to destroy you. And then he'll get you to look at something that God's given and make you say, that's no big deal, and then you miss an opportunity to be a blessing. He robs you of the opportunity that was given to you. He keeps you from seeing the value in it. Look, it must have been a, a normal day that day when the little boy headed to school with five loaves and two fish. Mom probably got up, packed his lunch, gave it to him, and said, now you be a good boy at school today. Well, little did she know. He wasn't being a good boy. Brother Branham said he played hooky. Brother Branham said he said, I'm going fishing. I don't blame him. He said, I'm going fishing. But something happened on his way down to the river. He was going past a mountain, and something caught his ear. Something caught his attention. Aren't you glad something's caught your attention? Something caught his attention, and he came over, and he began to listen for a little bit. And he began to hear a man speak, and, and the longer he stood there, the, the more impressed he was and who this man was. And, and he listened for a while, and something about that man was different. Something was different. He was so humble and yet so full of authority. He said, this, there's something special about this man. He was drawn to him, and the boy knew that he was a great man, a man to be respected. The Bible would say, tell the account like this in John 6 and 5. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip, 
Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. Don't you love that? He already knows how he's going to work out the situation in your life. He already knows exactly how he's going to bring about the end to an expected end for your good. He already knows exactly what you're going through, and he looks at it, and sometimes you get put in situations to where he can prove you. Listen, it's not always going to be a flowery bed of ease. You know, if, if I will reign, I, I must fight. If I must reign, increase my courage, Lord. There's times we're going to go through things and we don't understand it, but it says he already knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may take a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said unto him, There is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes. Now listen to the very, the, the very testimony of the disciple. But what are they among so many? Even the disciple looked at a gift and he didn't value it. This fella has a gift, but what is that? What's that gift going to do at a meeting like this? What's that gift going to do at a service like this? We'll put it in God's hand one time and watch. There's been many a times there's been great gifted people that have stood in, in the middle of church services and sat there and they didn't hand it to the Lord. And they may have belted with everything they had or even preached with everything they had. But if it was an unsurrendered heart and it wasn't given to the Lord, he couldn't do anything with it. But in this moment, the disciple looks at it and goes, but, but what is this among so many? Brother Brown says here that Matthew is telling the story and Matthew's recounting the story. And he's talking about when they're out on the boat, giving the testimonies. And he says, and I asked him if I could have it. And he said, well, I brought it for my dinner. See, this is something personal. This is something he don't want anybody else to have. Maybe it's a complex. No, 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 it's, this is mine. No, this is mine. Maybe it's a small gift that you're embarrassed for anybody to see because it's, it's really not that much. So you keep it hidden. Matthew says, he said, I brought this for me. But now listen. But if it's to go to that man that I heard talk, he can have it. Oh, what an attitude tonight. Listen, there's not much to it. I don't, really know, I don't really know what you see in it. I don't, I don't see much in my gift, but if it's for Jesus tonight, he can have it. I don't know what he sees in my life tonight. I don't know why he'd want such a ranked sinner like me. I, I, don't, I don't want people to see what I am, but if it's for him tonight, I'll give it to him. I'll lay it all down for him. If we can have that attitude tonight about everything in our life, this gift isn't much, but if it's for Jesus, I'll give it to him tonight. I'll give him every part of my being. I'll give him every fiber of my being. If it's for you, Lord Jesus, you can have it tonight. Amen. Jesus can have it. It's not much. I may be a little embarrassed by it. It's poor man's food. You see, I'm sure you had a little bit of complex about what he had to, to offer Jesus. Because the scripture says they were barley loaves. In the Bible times, barley was a common crop in Israel. Like it said in Deuteronomy, a land of wheat and barley. But it was much more widely cultivated then than it is now. And it was always valued less than wheat. It was not considered fine flour. We see this in 2 Kings 7.1 where you see that the price of, of wheat is twice that of barley. It even mentions it again in Revelation 6 
where you see the price of wheat is much more than that of barley. Uh, in, in 2 Kings 7, 1, it says, Then Elisha said, Hear ye the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, Tomorrow about this time shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel and two measures of barley for a shekel. So fine flour was worth twice as much as barley. It's poor man's food. The rich people didn't eat barley. As a matter of fact, it, it was one of the main food sources for horses and donkeys. It says in 1 Kings 4 and 28, Barley also and straw for the horses and dromedaries brought they unto the place where the officers were, every man according to his charge. It was also in the hill country the main food source of poor people. And I'm sure at first he struggled to let the disciples have it. He just sat there and saw such an important man, such a mighty man. Words of life. He recognized there's something special about this person. And this man's so important that my meal is so insignificant. I got nothing but poor people's food. It's meaningless. He probably thought the, the Pharisees would never eat this. The, the Sadducees, they, they, would, they would never eat this. I even heard one of his own disciples say that this isn't very much. But what he did is he pushed past those thoughts. He pushed past those complexes. He pushed past that spirit of, uh, that wanted to make him feel insignificant. He pushed past the complex, and he said, if this is for Jesus, he can have it. And I love verse 11. Verse 11 here is what makes all the difference. John 6, 11, it says, and Jesus took the loaves. And Jesus took the loaves. Will you give him your barley loaves tonight? Give him what you think is insignificant and watch the miracles he can do in your life. Give him what you think is insignificant and watch what he does in your home. Watch what he'll do in evening light tabernacle if we'll just surrender the things that we think are insignificant, the things that we think aren't that big a deal, if we'll clean out the little things that we've been letting hold on to us, if we'll just give it all to Jesus and watch the miracle that he will do. I'm telling you tonight that he wants you and not just part of you. He wants all of you. He wants the parts of you that are embarrassing. He wants the parts of you that nobody else knows about. He wants you to come and lay them at his feet. And he'll say, and Jesus took his loaves. And Jesus took his sins. And Jesus took his complexes. And Jesus took all his faults. Jesus took all his failures. Jesus took everything that you'll give him tonight. And he'll bless it. And then he'll multiply his blessings upon your life. Whatever condition you're in tonight, just say it's for Jesus. He can have it. And let Jesus take the loaves tonight. Let him have your loaves. Brother Branham says, and you notice, as long as the lunch was in the little boy's hand, it was just five loaves and two fishes. But when it got into Jesus' hand, it fed 5,000. So the little things that we have, if we'll just let him have it, the little faith that we've got, if we'll just let him have it, it'll do great things. He says, you may not have very much, but turn it loose. I say turn the barley loose tonight. Turn the little bit of faith you have loose tonight. Turn, all, turn it all loose tonight in the name of Jesus. Say, so let him have what you got. If you got that much faith, put it in him. Turn it loose and see what it'll do. As long as it's in the boy's hand, it wasn't much. But when it got in here... Jesus' hand, it meant something. It could, it could only feed him there. It could hardly do that. 
but it fed 5,000 and take up baskets afterwards. Hallelujah. My, when I think of that, my soul shakes and trembles. When I think of what God can do with a life, what he can do with your complexes and your shortcomings and your failures, what he can turn us around. We're nothing. We're on our way to hell, a sinner's grave and a devil's hell, but we put something in Jesus' hands. He'll lift you up and make a son or daughter of God out of you tonight. He'll forgive all your sins. He'll forgive all your trespasses. He'll fill you with the baptism of the Holy Ghost if you'll just put it in Jesus' hands tonight. Brother Brown says, what kind of weapon are you going to use? You remember Pharaoh's got a lot of chariots and swordsmen and horsemen and everything like that. He had a crooked stick in his hand. What's in your hand? You might not be able to whistle, but you can do something. I think that did away with every excuse right there. You might not can be able to whistle. Can't. Can't. But you can do something. Whatever's in your hand, use it to the glory of God. Give it to him and let him bless it and watch what takes place. Certainly, no matter what it is, it may seem little and insignificant to you, but give it over to God one time. The little boy had a lunch. It wasn't very much to him, but once in the hands of Jesus, it fed 5,000 and they took up basketfuls. How many blessings and how many miracles are missed because we hold back what we have? How many blessings and miracles are missed because we hold back what we have to offer? Because we feel the barley loaves are insignificant. You know, I sometimes think that even, it even shocks the enemy what God does with some of the lives that come to him. I think sometimes it even catches the enemy off guard when he, he looks at somebody like me and, and, and he sees what God has done and changed my life completely. And, and he says, him? I know what he was. I had him. I had him in my prison. You're you're telling me he's going to do something for the kingdom of God? You're telling me he's going to stand in the last day and believe the end time message? That guy? That guy was worthless. Guilty. Guilty as charged. But when you lay it all down in Jesus' feet, when you give him the loaves and say, just do what you will with it, and you just become available, he'll do amazing things in your life. Listen, so, sometimes the enemy will become shocked. God takes maybe who, people who maybe we think are nobodies. Once again, he doesn't look at people and things and value them the way that the world does. Look at the vision of Gideon, Judges 7, 13. Now, we've established what barley was and how barley was poor, uh, represented poor people and poor people's food. And when Gideon was become, behold, there was a man that told a dream unto his fellow And said, Behold, I dreamed a dream, and lo, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the host of Midian and came into a tent and smote it that it fell and overturned it that the tent lay alone. Now notice, even in the dream the man had, Gideon had sat over there and said, I'm poor, I'm no good, I'm from a poor family. It ain't like the guy had a dream and and then set up and said, Oh, man, there was this fine loaf of bread made from the best flour. No, the dream showed Gideon exactly as he was. Poor man. It showed him exactly how it was. It showed what God will do with a man that doesn't have anything to offer. He said it was a barley cake that tumbled into the host of Midian and came into a tent and smote it that it fell and overturned it that the tent lay long. Now look, Gideon's typed out here as a barley loaf. Gideon and his whole army had peasant beginnings. 
And the men in the tent, because they know what Gideon is, because they know what that army of peasants is, they instantly recognize the vision. And they say, and his fellow answered and said, This is nothing else save the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. For into his hand hath God delivered Midian and all the hosts. I'm telling you tonight that you can destroy every devil, every enemy, everything that rises up against you, and everything that exalts itself against the word of God if you'll just put yourself into God's hand. I don't care if you are an old barley loaf tonight. I don't care if you can't whistle tonight. I don't care if you think you have nothing to offer tonight. Put yourself in God's hand tonight and let him go to work with you put yourself in God's hand tonight and let him take you down to the tents of the enemy and smash the tents and destroy the enemy and send them running toward the borderland we're not going to let them stay in our land any longer it doesn't matter what I have it's not about me it's not about you it's all about him and what he can do through us they said it's, it's Gideon it's Gideon in the hand of the Lord I wonder how often they had made fun and criticized old Gideon I wonder how often they'd made fun and picked on this poor old Gideon, his little ill-equipped group of misfits. But in God's hands, in God's hands, listen, Evening Light Tabernacle, let them say what they want about you. Let the world say what they want about you. Let, let the devil say what he wants about you, that you're no good, that you're misfits, that you're never going to amount to nothing. But in God's hands, I'm telling you, we're coming to tear Satan's kingdom down. I'm telling you, in God's hands, we're going to tear his kingdom down. We're going to plague his kingdom. We're going to defeat every demon of hell. And then we're going to take a rapture. In God's hands, we're going to overcome it and we're going to rise above it all because it's not about what we can do. We're in God's hands tonight. We put our loaves in God's hands. We put all that we are in God's hands tonight. In God's hands, we're an invincible army. We've been seen in a vision victorious over all our enemies. We've been commissioned to tear Satan's kingdom down. What I love about Gideon is once he got them on the run, he didn't stop. It says in Judges 8.4, And Gideon came to Jordan and passed over. He and 300 men that were with him. Now, how many men did they have when they started? 300. Here we are later in the battle, and how many men are left? 300. In God's hands, we ain't going to lose a one. I'm telling you, he's not going to lose a one that the Father has given him. He's not going to lose a one. We're not leaving here and leaving one behind. We're not leaving a hoof behind. We're at the end of the battle, and we got the same number because we're not giving up. They may not be sitting here tonight, but I'm claiming them tonight in our number because we're not leaving a hoof behind. He says, and 300 men that were with him faint, yet pursuing them. Oh, let that be us tonight. Let that be us tonight. It says, faint and yet pursuing them. They, They were faint, yet pursuing. They were tired from the battle, and yet they were eager to do more damage to the enemy's kingdom. Sometimes we may be tired and worn down. Sometimes you may be feeling like I'm about to give up. You're faint. You're right on the verge. But you just keep pursuing that promise. You may be faint and I can't, I can't take another step. No, sir, you just keep pursuing that devil. You just keep chasing that devil. You just stay right on him until you're running completely off your promised land. You may be faint. Yet we're still pursuing. We're pushing him off our land. We're fighting him off our promises until we obtain every single one of them. And eventually, we're going to push him and we're going to run ourselves right into a body change. We may be faint, but we're still pursuing tonight. The Bible tells us to forget not all 
his benefits. That don't neglect any of them. Don't elevate some and put others down and say these aren't, these aren't as important. No, you forget not all of them. If it came from God, it's worthy to be praised. It's worthy to be acknowledged. That's why he told them there in Deuteronomy, once you come into the land and you partake of all these things, then take, take a moment and praise the Lord for it all. Because he doesn't want you to forget any of the blessings that, that, that he's given you. And we're told not to, for, to forget not all of his benefits. We're to be robbed of nothing. If God put it in the land, it's yours. Now remember that. If God put it in the land, it's yours. If it's in the word, it's yours. But you're going to have to fight to protect it tonight. We can't give up anything no matter how small we may think it is. And we've dealt with that. We can't put labels on things. This is a small blessing. This is a big blessing. This is a small thing. This is a big thing. If it came from God, it's to be ours. We are to possess it. Because the devil doesn't ever stop at the small things. Sure, he may just be nibbling a little bit here. He may just be bringing a little bit of trouble here on this side. But that's not his end game. He wants to destroy you, your children, your family. And, and, and it, se it seems that he wants to destroy entire churches. He wants to wipe out people's faith and, and, and belief. But lately it seems like here in our church and in other places as well, and I'll just say this from my heart, it seems like there's just been a great washing that's just been taking place in people's lives. A great washing taking place in people's homes as People have been making their calling and election sure, and people have been getting things in order, and people have been sweeping out everything and, and making sure all the leavens out of their life and leavens out of their home. And we've seen the power of the Holy Spirit just moving in services and moving in people's homes. And, and we've been getting even, even testimonies from other places of, of the power of God and, 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 the, and the Holy Spirit pouring out and people being baptized and just great miraculous things going on. And I believe that God is doing some amazing things. I believe we're right on the verge. I believe we're right there at the blending of time and eternity. I believe this with all my heart. And God is doing some very special things. And I believe tonight that it's time we push a little harder. I believe it's time we push just a little bit harder. We may be faint, but we got to keep pursuing. We may be tired and a little worn out, but we got to keep pursuing. I, I believe it's time that we dig a little bit deeper. I believe it's time that we begin to pray like Amram did and say, God, it's time to fulfill these promises. God, I believe it's, it's time for these things to come to pass. And the reason we say that is I believe that we can say, just like it said there in the book of Acts, that the time of the promise has drawn nigh. It's time for us to take back all the enemy has tried to steal from us. And we, we can't even let in this time even the small things go. Church, it's going home time. It's rapture time. It's time to check up, make sure your lamps are trimmed and bright. It, it, just being a good uh, person and a good church member and, and coming to church all the time and maybe even listening to tapes, that's good. Thank God you do that. But it's time to dig deeper. It's time to consecrate more. It's time for sincerity like you've never had sincerity before. We're right here at the judgment time. It's right here at the going home time, and we can't let the devil come in and take anything, not even a little piece. Brother Branham would say, just about the time you get the church built up where it's right, that's when the devil will come in. He said, that's the time to get your righteous indignation up. We are not to forget any of his benefits. We are not to forget any of his promises. We are not to forget any of his instructions. There is nothing too small that in this time we can let go by the wayside. 
He has blessed us so abundantly. Psalm 68, 19, blessed be the Lord who daily loadeth us with benefits. Even the God of our salvation, Selah. Psalms 103, 2, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Psalms 116 and 12, what shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits towards me? It's time that we stand like Israel standing. And give no ground. No matter how insignificant that ground may seem. Listen. The enemy wouldn't want it if the ground was insignificant. The enemy wouldn't be after your promise if he thought that promise was insignificant. He wouldn't be after your joy if it wasn't important. He wouldn't be after your peace if it wasn't important. He's coming after it because to him, it's worth fighting for. It's a prize to him. It's a trophy to him. But I'm telling you, if you come against me and I'm standing with the living God, I'm the only one that's going to have a trophy from this battle because I'm going to take your head off. I'm going to raise it up for the whole camp to see, and then we're going to have a Philistine killing party. We got to stand there when the enemy comes in. And if it's in the word of God, if it's promised to us, we have to recognize it's worth fighting for. It's worth standing for. It's worth giving our life for every little piece. It's worth giving your all for. Ephesians 4, 27. Neither give place to the devil. That little thing he's fighting you over. You say, that's not a door. He can't get in there, but it may just be the foothold he needs. It may be that one little finger hold he needs to get a hold of your life. It may be the one little place he has access to you. Here in the, the word place in Ephesians means opportunity. Neither give opportunity to the devil. But it also means here a portion of marked off space. You can't even go, okay, devil, that's your space. Stay there, leave me alone, I'll leave you alone. You can't even give him a portion of marked off space. First of all, you're dealing with a liar, a cheat, a deceiver. He's not going to stay in his portion. He's not going to stay there a minute. The minute you turn your back, you're going to have a knife stuck in it because his job is to destroy you. You can give him no place, no piece of ground, no matter how insignificant is he allowed to stay on. No piece of promise, no piece of the word, no matter how much you may judge it insignificant, can he be allowed to stay home? We can't give him a portion. We can't give him a space because he's not going to abide by it. Look, David had some mighty men that we read about, we read about earlier, and they didn't tolerate the enemy trespassing on their land. I love reading the accounts of the mighty men. They, they did some mighty things. They, they were some pretty incredible men, the things that they would do. And, and because they were willing to stand, they left a lasting legacy. A testimony of men who were willing to fight for everything that was in the land. They looked at it and said, this is our land. I don't care that that's just a rock. That's my rock because it's inside my borders and you're not going to set foot on it. They weren't willing to give the enemy anything. They were willing to fight for all of it. And our opening scripture said in 2 Samuel 23, 9. And after him was Eliezer, the son of Dodo, the Hoite, one of the three mighty men with David when they defied the Philistines that were there, gathered together to battle. And the men of Israel were gone away. Let's look at that part. The men of Israel were gone away. They had all fled. They had all made a decision that this parcel of ground that they were fighting for wasn't worth fighting. They said this, this parcel of ground isn't worth dying for. It's not worth it. And they had gone away from the promises 
They had ran away chasing after new doctrines. They had ran away chasing after worldly pleasures. But one, Eliezer, planted himself right in the middle of that promise. He planted himself right in the middle of that field, and he stood there, and, he's, and he defied the Philistines. There were Philistines in the land, and someone was going to be willing to, to deal with them. I love how it says they defied the Philistines. The word here actually means to rail against. He wasn't sitting there quietly. He was telling them everything they were, everything they weren't, everything he was about to do to them if they dared come over there. He, he was running his mouth. He was letting them know exactly how it was going to be. It says, this word means to abrade and to taunt. Listen, they didn't come in to play church. They didn't come in to play church. They didn't sit quietly and sit there and go, praise Lord. He came in and said, listen here, devil, this is my land. You're no good. You're sorry. I'm going to kill you. You think you want some of this? You think you want this piece of ground? How about you come over here and try to take this piece of ground? And he planted himself right there on the promise. And he stood there. And it reminds me of the history of the Texas Revolution when a small group of men at the Battle of Gonzales which was the very first battle, of the first skirmish of the revolution. They had a cannon there in Gonzales. And the Mexican government sent a general and some soldiers and said, I want you to go confiscate their cannon. So this Mexican army comes marching, and, and the men in Gonzales were outnumbered. And the Mexican commander comes with orders to remove the cannon from the town, and he sends a message to them. And he says, I've come to take the cannon. We're going to take it away from you. And the, and the Texans there raised a flag in response. And the flag, they had stitched a big black cannon on it with, with four words. Come and take it. If more of us would have that attitude tonight when the enemy tries to come in, instead of watching out the window as he's trampling all through our field and sit, sitting in the living room while your kids are wasting hours and hours on a worthless video game or Snapchatting with some boy that you don't even know who they are, or putting on mascara in the back room while the devil's coming in, stealing your happiness, coming in, stealing your peace. How about you plant yourself right in the middle of one of your promises and say, how about you come and take it? How about you come over here and get some of this? Because I'm standing on this promise i will not be moved how about you come and take it tonight you think you want some of the living god you think you want a piece of the bride of jesus christ how about you come over here and take what i got you can't take it from me you didn't give it to me you can't take it and that flag sparked a revolution. I'm not asking you to spark a revolution tonight. How about you spark a revival in your home? And you say, come and take it. You're not taking our joy. You're not taking our peace. You won't have my children. Come and take it. Have a little backbone about you and stand up in the face of the enemy tonight. And say, how about you come and take it if you think you want some. Come and take it. That's what Eliezer told the Philistines. Come and take it. You got to make the decision that it's worth fighting for. I ain't giving that devil one thing. Amen. A cannonball. I'm not handing him over anything that God has promised me. God said it was mine. What makes him think I'm going to give it to him? Yeah. And I got more than a cannon waiting on him. I'm telling you, I'm coming to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The name above all names. Every knee's going to bow and every tongue's going to confess. You will move off my promise, devil. You will move off my children's life. You will give me my peace back. My home will serve and overcome through the living God. 
You will move. Sparked a revolution. We need a revival sparked in our homes and our family. Tell him one time, come and take it. Quit giving it away. Tell him, come and take it. 2 Samuel 23.10 says, And he arose and smote the Philistines until his hand was weary, and his hand clave into the sword, and the Lord wrought a great victory that day. And the people returned after him only to spoil. All those that had run away. All those that didn't think it was worth fighting for. All those who didn't want to get down in the trenches and fight the enemy. Now they return. People who won't stand up and be identified. People who don't think that some of the small things are worth the fight. People who have let down the bar. Sunday and Wednesday Christians only show up to collect the blessing. But they don't want to get down in the trenches and do the fighting during the week. One commentator would say regarding this, it's common for those who quit the field when anything is to be done to hasten back to it when anything is to be gotten. They just want the blessing without the fight, without a battle. They want to come and spoil from the victory, but they want to sit back and watch you do all the fighting. What was it that was so important in that field? What was it that even when all others ran, Eliezer stood? What was it that caused him to rail against them and even taunt them? What was of such great value that it was worth dying for? Another account of this is in 1 Chronicles, exact same story. Well, chapter 11, verse 12. It says, And after him was Eliezer, son of Dodo, the Ahoite, who was one of the three mighties, who was with David at Postumen. And there the Philistines were gathered together to battle where was a parcel of ground full of barley. Animal food. Food for the poor. And the people fled from the before the Philistines. And they set themselves in the midst of that parcel and delivered it. And slew the Philistines, and the Lord saved them by great deliverance. Listen, barley wasn't worth very much, but it was supposed to be in the land. He said, I'll give you a land with wheat and barley and figs and honey. It was listed in the promise. So it doesn't matter what man's value was. It doesn't matter that other people said it wasn't worth anything. He looked at it and said, that's part of the promise. That's part of God's word. And I'm about to set myself down right in the middle of it. And I dare you to come try to take a piece of God's word from me. It was worth fighting for. It was worth dying for because it was in the word. Because it was part of the promise. One group said it's just a barley field. It's just one little barley field. And the enemy's so many, and I'm not going to die for that. This isn't worth it. Eliezer said, but it's in the promised land. It's mine. Eliezer said, it's in the promised land. It's mine, and I will give the enemy no place to stand. It wouldn't have mattered what kind of field it was. It could have been a weed field that was growing nothing but Bahia. Terrible stuff. But if it was in the promised land, Eliezer was about to get off of his Bahia. 
You're not going to stand in one of my fields. I don't care what it's growing. It's in my land. It's part of my promises. You're not taking my kids. They're part of my promise. You're not taking my joy. It's part of my promise. You're not taking the Holy Ghost experience out of the church. It's promised to be here. You're not going to rob this generation of an opportunity at revival. They get the same chance you got. I'm going to stand right here and proclaim truth and fight off every enemy that tries to rob the word of God from us. It was in the word. It doesn't matter what others say if it's promised. If it's in the word, it's worth fighting for. Stand for truth when others run away. Brother Branham says, if this isn't the truth, it's the biggest error the world's ever had. But if it is the truth, then I'm willing to die for it. And I have found that every word is true. There's no shadow of doubt in my mind. I love how it said he stood there and he defied the Philistines. I say tonight we stand and defy anything that would exalt itself against the promises of God. Defy the enemy when others promote false doctrines. Defy the enemy when he tries to come in and rob the Holy Ghost out of our services. Defy the enemy that wants to come in and keep this generation from having a revival. We defy that. You young people can have the Holy Ghost. It's for you and it's to as many as the Lord God shall call. Defy the enemy that, that wants you to come in and wear makeup and fold to peer pressure. Defy the enemy when, when others are wearing immoral clothes. Stand up and exalt modesty and exalt holiness. Defy the enemy. Say, it's in the word. I'm going to stand on it. You may not think it's worth the battle. You may not think it's worth the ridicule. You may run away from it. I'm not running away from it. It's in the word. I'm going to stand on it. If you want to receive the big blessings of God, then you got to keep even the smallest words of God. you got to stand on every word, not give in. Because mighty men leave legacies. Mighty men leave legacies that, that they're not going to bend and they're not going to break. They're not going to give up the barley field. I'm not going to allow the enemy to take any of my promises. But Brother Aaron, it's just a barley field. It's just a little thing. It's not that big a deal. Listen, you can't have that attitude tonight. He gave you barley. It's in the land. It's a big deal. You're to possess it. It's time to stand there and say, come and take it. If you think you want this barley, if it's worth the fight to you, if it's worth dying for to you, I'm right here. Come and take it. This is the very same barley field. I'm not going to have time to really go into this, but I found this so awesome. Pass Damin is the very same barley field that the Philistines had camped in when Goliath was coming out to make his boast. This is the very same place they had camped when Goliath would walk out of this barley field and walk out and challenge the armies of the living God. And everyone had run away except David. And now here we are once again. And now here's David once again with his mighty men. And once again, everyone's run away. But mighty men don't run. Men of faith don't run. Men of faith leave a legacy. Men of faith leave a testimony. And David and his mighty men stand in this same place once again and say, I come to you in the name of Jesus Christ. I come to you to take your head off. You let that devil know Jesus has paid for it all. I'm standing here. Listen. 
Recognize this. This is the same place that the Philistines were defeated and completely slaughtered. Just because you have a victory over the devil in one area of your life doesn't mean he's not going to come back there and try you again. Doesn't mean he's not going to come back there and scratch at the windows and howl and claw at the door. But he can't get back in. He can't come back in if you'll stand there on the word and say, no, you've been defeated here once before. We stand here once again to rebuke you once again. You're going to be defeated just as soundly this time as you were last time. They're standing in the very same place that David stood and the enemies come back again to a place he's been defeated to challenge them once again. And David and his mighty men are standing there. Why are they standing there? Because the promises are worth fighting for. I believe tonight your promises are worth fighting for. I believe you as an individual are worth fighting for. I believe Jesus Christ felt that way when he fought his way up Calvary's hill and fought through every devil of hell and everything. He could have walked away from that, but he said, you're worth fighting for. He said, you're worth dying for. And he sent back promises and he sent back his word and he said, you could have peace. He said, you could have joy. You could have health. He said, you could have a healthy marriage. He said that you could have your children. I believe it's all worth fighting for tonight. I believe you have to fight tonight. I believe it's tonight that it's your opportunity to deliver the barley. There may be an enemy standing there in your field tonight, but you're an heir to all things. You're an heir to all things. Look, fear has stood in your barley field way too long. Depression has stood out there in your barley field way too long. That sickness has stood... That sickness has stood in your barley field way too long. It's time you take the sword tonight, the sword of the spirit, and you march out there to that barley field and you let him know you're not staying here one more minute. You're not staying here one more hour. This is my barley field. This is my promise. This word was given to me. You're going to go or you're going to die. You're going to go or I'm going to take your head off. You're leaving here one way or another. This is my field. This is my promise. You've stayed here too long. And tonight you are going to leave in the name of Jesus. These things are in the promise. Forget not all his benefits. We are heirs of all his benefits. Listen to Brother Branham. He says, I'm an heir of divine healing. I'm an heir of joy. I got a right to be happy. You don't think it's a big deal? Brother Branham said, I got a right to be happy. So what makes you so happy? I got a right to be. How do you know? Because I'm an heir to it. Amen. Now I feel religious. Yes, I'm an heir to happiness. I'm an heir to joy. I'm an heir to peace. I'm an heir to eternal life. I'm an heir to the Holy Spirit. Amen. I'm an heir to every evidence it's got. Amen. I'm an heir to the authority of God. Amen. Who made you that? Not me. He did. Every one of you is an heir to the same thing. As an heir to the throne, he that overcometh shall sit with me on my throne as I have overcome and sat on my father's throne. Amen. An heir of all things, not just one thing, all things. Everything's under your feet. Even death is under your feet. The grave is under your feet. Hell is under your feet. And sin is under your feet. Amen. He says everything is under your feet because you're an heir. You are dead and your life is hid in God through Jesus Christ. You're rose again to eternal life and sitting in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Oh, my. Woo. Call us anything you want. Call us what you want to. Say we're crazy if you want to, but we're heirs. Heirs to what? All things. Are you an heir to the Branham Tabernacle? Nope. I'm an heir to all things, both seen, present, future, to everything. I'm an heir to it. If that don't make you happy right there, and every sin and wickedness has been under my feet, and by the grace of Jesus Christ, he rose on Easter morning, triumph over death, hell, and the grave, and made me an heir, and said, wait yonder, and I'll give you the promise. 
And his anointed authoritative servant said, this promise is unto you, to your children, to them that's afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. I'm an heir. Amen. Amen. Jesus proved it to us on his resurrection. Oh, my. When we've entered the battlegrounds between death and life, I'm a sinner, Brother Branham. You don't have to be. You're a sinner because you desire to be. You don't have to be. The debt's already paid. Brother Branham, I wish I had joy. You can have it. You're just letting Satan rob you from the privilege that Christ died for. I'm an heir to it. It's all mine. Everything he died for belongs to me, belongs to you. We're his children. We're heirs of it. Everything that he died for. Hallelujah, he says. There you are. This is my story. This is my song. I'm an heir of salvation. What is salvation? Something that's given to you. It's a gift. I'm an heir of salvation. What kind? For eternal life, salvation for my soul, salvation for my body, salvation for my wilderness, salvation for everything. That pretty much covers it all. I'm an heir to everything. And I'm not going to let the devil who's not an heir have a piece of it at all. I'm an heir to joy. I'm an heir to salvation. I'm an heir to the Holy Spirit. I'm an heir to the kingdom of God. He's gone away to prepare a place for me that I'm an heir to. Glory, hallelujah. You're heirs tonight. Don't let him rob you of any of it. He's not at the reading of the will. It's not his. I'm an heir to everything. He said, what kind of salvation? He said, salvation for everything. He saves. He keeps. He satisfies. He heals. He delivers. There's joy. There's peace. He bestows grace. He bestows mercy. He bestows it all. And tonight... When the devil's coming into your land, coming into your field, coming into your home, I say you take the name of Jesus and you go get every one of those promises that belong to you. You take the name of Jesus and you go on the offensive and you take your stand in the barley field of the promises and you leave a lasting legacy. What kind of legacy are you going to leave behind? How will people remember you, one who fled and came back only to spoil or one who stood there and fought the devil until his hand claved to his sword? One who stood there and swung the word of the Lord so much that his hand couldn't even come loose from it. Too many today, their hands are cleaving to some, uh, a ball or a bat or a remote control or something like that. That'll never deliver you. That'll never set you free. But if you grab a hold of this one time and say, I'm not going to let go. And you hold on to it and you go to swinging and fighting and killing and standing on your promises and say, I'm not going to move. How about you come and take it? And one day they may have to cleave this out of my hand. But I'm going to leave a legacy behind that I stood for truth. I delivered the barley field. I didn't let the enemy stay there. I don't care what kind of field it was. It's in my land. I will deliver the barley. And tonight, evening like tabernacle, we're at rapture time. We're at going home time. And it's time you deliver the barley fields in your promised land. Those things that may not seem like big deals, but the enemy's camped out on it. Run them out. Send them packing. They have no right to stay there. We're about to go home. But you got to clean out the land. You got to clean them out. If you're going to possess everything that God has for you. I believe it's there for you. I believe we're going to take it. But we got to press down. We got to press in. We got to take the word and stand on that promise tonight. Cut through the darkness. We bring this down to a close. See, small things add up to big things. Just keep picking up the handfuls. And by the end of the night, you got a bag full. You got a sack full. But you got to pick up the little things as you go. And you start picking them up before long. 
you got an abundance. Yeah. Just keep walking in victory. Keep claiming every promise and letting the enemy have no place to stand. No place. I don't care what kind of field you find him standing in in your life tonight. Give him no place. Stand there tonight with the word and say, you will have no place in my promised land. You will have no opportunity to get into my life. I'm going to take care of this while it's a little fox. One day, church, we're going to deliver the barley one last time. One day, it's going to be the last time you have to fight. One day, it's going to be the last time that you have to get up and look at that old devil in the eyes. But until he takes us home, I'm going to make sure he ain't got nothing that belongs to me. Until he takes me home, I'm going to stand and fight. And I'm going to value everything that's in the word. I'm not going to put some things down. I'm going to say, if it's in the word, it belongs to me. We're right on the verge of the greatest promise finally coming to pass. Prophet of God says, do you believe it? Say amen. amen. What's the next thing we're looking for? The rapture. Going to meet him, the coming son. We'll have to be changed and caught up. You can't be caught up the way you are now. You're too heavy. Oh, but brother, one day this mortal will take on immortality. And will have a body like his own glorious body. For we shall see him as he is. Oh, you seed of Abraham, hold to your promise. He says, hold to your promise, honey. Stay with it. Don't let no man rob you from that. Evening Light Tabernacle, let no man, no spirit, no devil of hell rob you of everything the Lord has given you. Because we're right at the point. We're fixing to go home. We're fixing to take a rapture. I want us all to go. Make sure there's no little foxes running around in your barley fields. Deliver the barley tonight. You bow your heads with me. You know, the way that the enemy comes at me may be different from the way that he comes at you. <clears throat> Some people he may come with doubt and fear, unbelief. Some people he may come with trouble in the home. But usually it starts with the small things. Sometimes it starts with things that we don't deem very important. It starts in things that we don't value as much as others. Because the world sometimes warps our idea of value. What true value really is. The world warps our idea of what's worth fighting for. I want to say it once again. If it's in the word, it's worth fighting for. If it's in the promises, it's worth fighting for. The barley field was in the promised land. And Eliezer left a legacy, a lasting legacy. I ask you tonight, what will be your legacy? Will you be one who stood there and defied the, the enemy? And stood there and said, I won't give you an inch. I won't back up. Or you be one who ran away when the fight got too tough and you didn't think it was that big of a deal. What will be your legacy? We're going home, church. We're going home. We're right here at it. Deliver your barley field. Father, we love you with all of our heart. Lord, we thank you that you've given us the strength, Lord, to deliver the message. I just pray, Father, that you'll take it and use it how you see fit. Lord, I pray that we won't just be hearers of the word, Lord, but we'll be doers. Lord, many things I said tonight spoke directly to my heart and
pricked my heart, things I need to take care of. Lord Jesus, may we not be guilty of neglecting any of your promises. May we not be guilty, Lord, of forgetting even one of your benefits. Lord, you died that we could have those things. Lord, you went through agonizing punishment and took horrible stripes and was beaten so I could have those benefits. Lord, give us the strength to stand and the courage to stand now when people want to take those benefits away. When spirits want to come in and rob us of the joy of our salvation, of the peace that passes all understanding. Lord, there's people that fight anxiety and fear, and you said, I will keep him in perfect peace. But we have a word, Lord. Those things are in our promised land. And, Lord, I have found it to be such a good land, Lord. It's even more than what I could have imagined it would be. Lord, this land is wonderful. Lord, may I never let a squatter, some evil spirit, come in and squat on this land. Lord, they're not part of the inheritance. They're not heirs like we are. Give us strength to stand, Lord. May be weary tonight, Lord, but may we be pursuing. May be worn out from the battle, but may we still be pursuing. Until the enemy is all driven out, until the kingdom of Satan has been torn down. Lord, may he not have one day of peace as long as we're on this earth. But may we defy him and stand on the promises tonight. Lord, we love you. Bless every person here tonight, every family that's represented. Lord, I pray that your presence will go with us as we depart. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Take these hands and lift them up, for I have not the strength to praise you near enough. What can he do with your hands tonight? For I am nothing, oh I am nothing. But what can he do with your barley loaves? Without if you'll just place them in his hands tonight. Oh, and take my voice and pour it out. What kind of things do we talk about on a daily basis? Let it sing a song. May our voice just sing the songs of mercy and the goodness of God. The wonderful promises. I am nothing. We're nothing. But in his hands tonight, church, we're an invincible army. In his hands tonight, church, we're going in a rapture. Hallelujah. And Without